Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, Investing Insights uh, where once a month we do the video version of uh, Investing Insights and this is where uh, Steve and I chat, uh, chat around everything property. Uh, we give you tips and uh, use our experience, the, our decades of experience in property investing to guide you through the market phase uh, that is happening right now. And today we also have a special guest, uh, a regular uh, friend of RPG podcasts, uh, and we will introduce him in a minute. But Steve, I understand that you had to actually swim across the channel to get to this podcast today. Yeah, once again, Vic, uh, we are flooded, or we're half flooded. We're not fully flooded. Uh, so just a lot of our roads are closed, but that's part and parcel, isn't it? Like I can control a lot of things, but the weather certainly is, is, different. is not one of them. The other thing that I can't control is that the studio is different today. <laughs> So we're <laughs> we're all sort of back to front now for the listeners and 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 uh, for those of you who have been following us for quite a while. Steve's a creature of habit, so we've thrown him today uh, by putting our special guest right next to him, uh, and so he was trying to um, uh, you know uh, turn the tables on me and get me to introduce. So give give me a um, uh, give me a yell uh, if you think my introduction was better than Steve's, uh, so that uh, you know we can certainly throw him on the reviews. Do you know you were going to say thumbs up then because you, uh, thought, I you was, were doing I thought, I thought I was on Facebook Live. That's it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Where we're not. But uh, let's um, um, let's introduce our uh, special guest, and, and um, he is special in the sense that he is the go-to person in finance and um, the director of uh, MLS Finance, our good friend uh, Z Shua. Uh, welcome, mate. Hey guys, how are you? We are good. Uh, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. You didn't yeah. have to answer. <laughs> Do you want the truth? <laughs> uh, I know we are good, but I don't know whether you are with the way the interest rates are going. No, you're right. It's uh, it's a downtime at the moment. It's um, doom and gloom, and I think uh, we're probably approaching the the end of it. That's probably the um, the the thing we can take from today. That um, it's starting to slow down. Mm -hmm. you know, like. Uh, we had our first um, quarter percent increase um, after a run of half percent increases. So, you know, that's that's probably the, the silver lining if there is one. Mm. And um, I, I think it's not going to be the acceleration isn't is going to be there for the next. Uh, well, there's a bit of a theory around that. The that the quarter of a percent was just to give us a false sense of security as we walk into Christmas so that people are encouraged to spend, to spend uh, during the Christmas period and then look out in the February, February uh, rate call, we're back up to half a percent. So it's yet to be seen. I don't. I don't even think they know. The RBA know. True. What's True. happening? Let alone, mm. you know, us speculators yeah. trying to have a dig or guess at what what the next four or five months will be because it's just so dynamic, as we all know. And the fact True. that we got a, a quarter of a percent this month is this month. Yeah, this month. Yes. Um, it's bizarre how the mind works because suddenly you think it's only. A quarter of a percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like let's group hug and high five on that. <laughs> it, um, but it's still a quarter of a percent. And yeah. when we add them all together, clearly, it's uh, it's a big whack. It the, is the most in decades. Oh, ten. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was the first increase for for more than ten years. Yeah, right? and and this so has been the fastest <coughs> rise of interest rates in thirty five years. Mm. Right. So mm. um, that means that uh, a lot of people that have been investing, first of all, haven't seen interest rate rises. Mm. Uh, and equally importantly, a lot of people haven't seen this fast an interest rate rise. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, you know, all three of us, um, we are blessed with the fact that not only do we deal with people with all walks of life, but we've actually been through the hard yards of investing during the really good times, investing in the challenging APRA restriction times. And mm -hmm. in fact, um, Z, that's when you actually started uh, in, uh, in the, the mortgage business in that sense. Yeah. Um, so you know how to handle these changes and, and delivering the bad news to some people as well. That was an amazing initiation because mm -hmm. one day, you know, lending was loose as anything. And then, you know, the next day lenders were going, yeah, remember that pre-approval that I gave you two weeks ago? Yeah. We don't actually do investment lending anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same as, but for, even for investors, like you think further what you said, Vic, about people that have never seen a rate with a four in front of it, mm -hmm. let alone anything over three and a half, because they've, they've only, they're new to investing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so yeah. they think that's the norm. Yeah. Whereas if you go back to 
don't know, years back. Go back to the GFC where rates were, were quite steep in comparison to what they are today in terms of the cost. Yeah, 7 and 8%. Yeah, the, the mm. people, and I truly believe this, the people that invested, who, who started investing during the GFC are such well-rounded investors today because they started at what was typically the, the worst time in mm. terms of all the ingredients. Whereas you've got the other investor that started on the, and I'm being very general here because you know, there are some people that uh, approach investing systematically and, and so methodical and there are others that just do it because everybody else is doing it. And I think they're the investors who have done it in the last year or so with no forethought, but just I've got it because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, yeah. They're the one that will become resentful, mm. yeah, yeah. especially as we go into this environment. Yeah, yeah. But, and I clarify this environment, it's not bad. Yeah, it's normal. It, you know, that's mm. the back mm. to the future. Maybe yeah. that's the heading of the podcast, back to the future. And and we've got to remember that like to, to temper all the interest rate rises, mm. on the other side of the ledger, there's the rental increases that's Absolutely. happening to, to balance it up. Mm. So, you know, whilst I said bad news earlier, it, it's kind of bad news qualified. Yeah. Look, I, I believe that any change in property, right, investing or home ownership <coughs> has always got a silver lining to it, right? So when we're going through the strong interest rate rises, mm. like you said, the, um, the uh, rents are also increasing in parallel. There may mm. be a bit of a lag, but mm. we already had a big surge of rental increase um, uh, during COVID, mm -hmm. and now it's still going up. Yeah. Uh, and when the finance cycle goes through its own cycle and the rates start coming down, the rents actually don't come down as sharply, right? Sure. So uh, what it does is if you're missing out right now, you could really capitalize down the track when the finance does become easier. And it's not too far away, I believe, mm. uh, when it starts becoming easier. And uh, it certainly will help with the capacity of uh, people being able to borrow at that point in time. Absolutely. Mm. So let's, let's corner Z. Why not? He's yeah. in the corner. He's anyway. in the corner. <laughs> like the wrong corner. baby in the corner. <laughs> it's, um, so what we'd like to do today is, is get your thoughts on, on how to preserve mm -hmm. uh, find our capacities, I guess, and in, in some cases how to enhance it. Mm -hmm. um, we're also going to drill you for some predictions. Yeah, now, please. The predictions, so I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about it. There's some <laughs> elevator music. Where the rates will stop, what will they be, uh, what changes to the, the banking policies, mm -hmm. um, buffer rates, which is a huge one that nobody seems to want to talk about at the moment because it's in the background mm -hmm. uh, and how that could be uh, uh, changing. Mm. And your because you see a lot of investors, mm. what your thoughts are on the value of the asset over the next five years. Mm. Mm. So... So where do I start? So well, <laughs> I was going to give you time to think about it, but let's <laughs> should we just dive straight into it? Let's start with um, let's start with wh where it is today and where it was twelve months ago. In terms of well, today I can well back then I could borrow a million dollars. What can I borrow today? Like let's let's put some context into this to see just how much the rates have affected serviceability. So I think overall. Uh, you would say if if you if you mixed um, owner occupiers and um, just you know um, pure homeowners and investors, you'd be looking at a, a borrowing capacity decrease of about twenty to twenty five percent minimum. Okay, and and I'll qualify that um, by saying um, some investors will be hit harder. Um, than others because not only are they taking out new debt, but there's all the existing debt um, that they get buffered um, at that assessment rate. So um, it's not just, again, the new loan that they're t taking out for that property, um, all of their other existing properties, um, what the bank does is adds a 3% um, buffer on it, um, gets the assessment rate. And just to just to give a, a bit of um, perspective or context around that, so if we're seeing, you know, general investment rates at, say, 55 6%, let's, let's call it, um, the buffer is now 3% as opposed to um, uh, 2.5% um, as it was, you know, one and a half years ago. So... If we're, if we're saying um, the overall assessment rate is 9%, you compare that to um, the APRA handbrake um, that happened in, in 2017, and you know, the, generally the assessment rates were about 7.25%, 7.5%. So it is actually harder, like 
a lot harder to borrow these days mm -hmm. compared to when APRA pulled the handbrake five years ago. It's a very interesting point yeah. because <clears throat> where we are today in the market in terms of that supply and demand ratio uh, being so undersupplied, which we all know and we've talked that to death, but the beginnings of that and, and some would say the catalyst for where we are today is because of that APRA handbrake pull, which was mm. in and around the serviceability, yeah? so the buffer rates and what mm. have you. Mm. And there was some tweaking to policy but if we're in a worse position today in terms of that serviceability piece, we're already undersupplied, so the, therefore the participation rate today is not there, then how do we solve the problem yeah. of being undersupplied and, and providing accommodation? How do we participate if we can't get kind the money? Well, yeah. So and, and, and there's other factors in there, right? So the cost of building is so high. Correct. Mm -hmm. right? So that's gone up 20, 25, even 30%. Mm -hmm. um, then you've also got... Uh, the trades shortage as well. You can't get, um, there's a lot of builders that have gone under because mm -hmm. of COVID. So when you have all of these things, then you've also got um, uh, the the weather to, to um, play with as well, right? So all of these factors make it really hard uh, to, to invest, or even if you have got a house, there's a lot of people that uh, had plans to put a granny flat or do a subdivision or a, um, uh, you know, a, a secondary dwelling in there. They can't, even though the intent is there, they can't. Uh, and, and you're seeing more and more of this, aren't you, Zeke? Yeah, and I, I think the, the, the policy makers and the, the regulators um, are going to recognize that eventually. But mm -hmm. yeah, to your, to your point, um, you know, it, almost I'd say two out of every three people that we see um, these days, we've just got to say, yeah, sorry, um, your serviceability is capped. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's absolutely nothing you can you can do. And and to your question earlier, Steve, about you know if if you know you could borrow a million dollars twelve months ago, how much you can can you borrow now? Probably about four hundred thousand. That's huge. Yes, that's huge. That, that is sixty percent reduction. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. and because a million dollars. Let's look at both sides of the ledger. There, a million dollars today will still buy you a lot of areas, mm. quality assets. But if you can borrow four hundred, if you can only borrow four hundred thousand dollars today, that dramatically reduces those slithers of opportunity throughout the country, where you can deploy that yep. that money. And the next question is, would you? Mm. Like it's it's such a dynamic that coming back to your remark around policy change and potentially somewhere in the future, and we'll get to that perhaps a little deeper in the minute. Mm. It just the the participation rate once again, is not there. Yep. And so how can the problem be solved? And if the problem can't be solved in the near to medium future without there being some massive changes, whether that be uh, the, the lending criteria or the policy, whether it be government incentivized or incentives for people, first home owner grant, lack of stamp duty, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, then how does the problem be solved and how does that mean that we have a spiralling uh, upward trajectory rental market? Yeah. Or will that then be played with and tinkered with in terms of legislation state by state by how much you can do it? So mm -hmm. it's a really, it's a diabolical position for the entire economy, for the entire country. And I, and I truly do believe it. And I've said this probably six or eight months ago. It's a checkmate position mm -hmm. because you're damned if you do and you're damned mm -hmm. if you don't as policymakers. That's right. You know, I want to qualify our comments here today. Uh, this is not all about doom and gloom. Uh, and, and this is not about batting down the hatches, the storm's coming because all three of us have gone through the situation where we wanted to expand our portfolio and we could not get lending for the life of it. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, the, the policies opened up and bang, we're back into it and, and we're lining up to buy the right types of properties. So the message we're trying to give here today is that you need to get back to your fundamentals in terms of be in touch with the broker, have the conversation, ongoing conversation with them so that they know what your intent is so that you know, when there are policy changes, they've got your information on hand and, and, and your um, desire to borrow in what area you're borrowing and you know, whether it's self-managed super fund, whether it's investment, whether it's even upgrading your home or just simply restructuring your mortgages. Then you can then uh, you know, be front of mind to be able to take benefit of that change in lending criteria, change in assessment rates, uh, whatever changes that's coming to help you so that you can be the first cab of the rank. And there's usually, as you would know, Steve, 
every time there's a policy change or a crisis, there's usually a gap in the market before people are, are uh, you know, get up to speed with the information to then take action. It's an opportunity, mm-hmm. and I and and I'm glad you said that this is not a doom and gloom episode. It's not. It's actually quite the opposite. Yep. But we need to say it how it is. I mean, lending is lending. That's the. It's a game of finance. Mm-hmm. Property just the vehicle. So we really need to, I guess, know what our cards are before we. St- and what the hand we've dealt before we start playing, but it is an opportunity. And if, if for for all our clients and those that perhaps have been listening over the years, where we've always said keep a degree of liquidity, mm. especially 12, 18 months ago, yeah. good valuations, draw down, because that could be the top up. You might only borrow four hundred, but if you've got three, four, five hundred thousand in equity that you've liquidized, if that's a word, <laughs> that's the um, word now. <laughs> Then it's a then it's a top up to be able to use yeah. until that policy changes. So, not negative or positive, but we need to know what we are dealt with. You know what? That that's actually really good advice that you've been giving your clients because um, and right now it's demonstrating uh, or it's it's been demonstrated in finance because uh, low LVR lending right now is slightly easier than um, the ninety percent. Mm. You know the ninety percent, third tiers, like we're pretty much out of the the the, the, the horses bolted. But if you've got a deposit of twenty percent, some some cases thirty percent, you're going to get better pricing. Right? Yeah. And what does better pricing mean? It means lower interest rates and lower assessment rates as well. Mm. And if your assessment rates lower, then it's your normal. borrowing capacity is higher. So what we're seeing a lot more of is. Um, people who can potentially put a, a smaller deposit, but they're choosing to to go a twenty percent deposit or sometimes thirty percent deposit, and they're a- able to um, expand how much they're they're able to borrow, they're they're able to squeeze out to the to the next price point for that property. Yeah. So I, I guess when you look at finance and it, the finance cycle and the investing cycle, so this is your personal investing cycle. If you're starting out, mm. uh, obviously the initial advice to someone that's starting out: take away today's market is that you want to minimize the amount of capital you're putting into it so that you're going 90%, 95%, no, right? Sure. But as, as the market, as the finance market changes, uh, what we do need to do is then uh, start looking at, okay, how many other lenders can look at my scenario? And when you've got, from what I understand, when you've got 80% lending, you've got a whole lot more lenders opening yeah, up as opposed yeah. to 90, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, Absolutely. and as a guide, the, uh, you being the expert, at, let's say, Arguments like I'm coming to you to borrow, um, and I say I want I want to put as little capital as possible sure. into the deal, sure. um, and I can qualify say with the second and third tier lenders. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference in assessment rate between say ninety percent and eighty percent? Oh, it's huge. Right now, like you're looking at probably more than one to one and a half percent in terms of um, interest rates because the ninety is really starting to get penalised heavily now. Um, so you know we're looking at some some th- um, third tier um, lenders. You're looking at a ninety percent investment rate of over seven percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means the assessment rates over ten percent, and like who's going to qualify? You know. Yeah. And um, so I guess what we've seen um, over the, the last couple of months is there's been a limited, there's been a small window, and and that window is still in place for a few of our clients, um, a, f- a few of our existing clients where, you know, we fixed them in at, at really low rates over the last few years. Um, they've got very low interest only um, actual repayments. And that's where the, the third tier lenders um, come into their own in terms of their generous borrowing capacity, because mm-hmm. they look at what what, what are you paying now? They don't care whether it's fixed, variable, um, fixed for one more month or, you know, three more years, we don't, we don't care. Interest only P and I. We just look at your repayment, and then we'll use that to determine how much you can borrow. So there is a limited window. It has been a limited window for um, you know some people, and uh, you know we've even seen some people um, switch their owner occupied debt, uh, which we've always said, oh, you know, go P and I, go P and I, you know, pay down, chip it away, um, go interest only just for that slightly um, smaller repayment so that that boosts their borrowing capacity. So there's, there's a kind of a limit, limited window over the next, you know, I, I saw a statistic the other day, mm-hmm. $150 billion worth of fixed loans are expiring over the next uh, three months, um, just before the end of the year. 
Right. So it's a big, it's a big amount. A yep. big yep. amount. So there's going to be a lot of pain, um, you know, next year, yep. uh, where where people will switch over. But the the flip side to that is that um, you know some people can take advantage of that. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. so uh, for the listeners now, if you've been thinking of okay, uh, this um, fixed rate is about to expire, my interest only is about to expire, um, and you've got a few mo- few months up your sleeve, don't leave it till too late. Uh, contact Z um, uh, and. Um, we can get the ball rolling uh, in terms of being able to get you to restructure your mortgages. It's really important as part of the investing journey. Um, what we've seen uh, as, as a collective, the three of us uh, having invested over many, many years, is that um, you do need to every couple of years restructure all of your mortgages, right? Mm. To get efficiency back, to also pre-plan for what's happening in the market over the next couple of years. Reset your interest-only terms, reset your loan terms, um, mm. fix in, pull equity. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but as you say, Vic, to be active in that yeah. now, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you can do to help that serviceability piece. So actually, on that, because the preservation of our our serviceability or how do we actually make it better? We know the the you know, get rid of bad debt, sure, all that sort of sure. sort of stuff, which is quite important. But in in an escalating environment that we have today in and around the cost of money, what are the things that people can realistically do mm. to either preserve what they have in terms of that capacity or enhance it? Yeah, like like we were saying earlier, um, rents have been going up, um, you know, not just on, on Eastern Seabird board, but across Australia. So, you know, if, you, if you've got, um, if you've already got properties, then yeah, really go in and 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 make sure that you're at market because I, I just had one of mine. Um, the the agent called me um, last week and they said, "Oh, um, you're fifty dollars under under market." And I was like, "Oh, wow, that's amazing!" Um, and then that made me have a look at um, a couple of my other properties, and um, I, I sort of noticed that you know some of the other agents were were saying, "Oh, why don't we put it up twenty dollars a week?" And then I kind of looked at market and and that you know they were they were so quite quite short from mm. from that. So I think um, probably go in and, and review your rents, mm. but also challenge the, the, the agents. Managers, yeah, yeah. Go, go on domain or realestate.com and and look at what else is um, is you know comparable and and challenge it because what the agents are wanting to do is just have the least amount of um, friction with the tenants. You know, just go in. Um, do bare minimum and mm. not have to, to to work at finding another tenant or, or mm. risk doing that. So that's really going to help um, offset all of these interest rate rises and the assessment rate rises. The the other thing that um, you could do is uh, really look at if you've got some surplus cash, look at um, paying down the um, your owner occupied debt. Um, hold off from from you know big renovations or that that next car purchase and and use it to to um, reduce your owner occupied debt because again that gets penalised really heavily compared to the investment debt and whilst the interest rate might be a little bit lower it's um, still considered um, non tax deductible debt and with the investment debt you get um, the benefit of a, uh, a tax um, add back, um, which lenders factor in. So, you know, if you've got half a million dollars worth of investment debt and half a million dollars worth of owner-occupied debt, from, both from a tax point of view and also a borrowing point of view, you're going to be a lot better off paying if you've got a, you know, spare $100,000, you know, not just offsetting your owner-occupied because the, the lenders will always look at what your limit is um, and, you know, excluding any offset, but actually going to the bank and saying, I want to do what's called a bulk pay down of my home loan from 500 to 400. I've got 150K spare. I want to keep 50K as a, as a risk mitigation, pay it down from 500 um, to uh, 400. And, you know, you're only left with 50K in your, in your offset account. But at the same time, what we can do is um, top up your investment loan by 100,000 and then all of a sudden you're using that as a deposit for the next property. So that's very clever restructuring where you're using the money at on hand to actually enhance your borrowing capacity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually poses a question that I get asked a lot um, where there's that term out there, debt recycling. 
well, we all know what it is, but I want you for the listeners because I would I would be asked that every week without fail. What is debt recycling? It's it's basically that um, process that um, I, I just talked about. So you're converting or recycling uh, non-deductible debt to uh, deductible debt. So um, you can only do that if you're um, using your debt for either investment or business purpose. So, you know, for, for those self-employed um, followers, that that's um, that's another option as well. If you're if you're looking to invest in your business and you're open to borrowing to do that, that's something that you can consider. Um, but you know, in in the investment world, it's about shifting. Um, you know, if you've got that five hundred thousand um, owner occupied, five hundred thousand investment debt. You know, using that example that we just spoke about, we're converting the um, own occupied debt to four hundred thousand, and we're stepping up the investment debt to six hundred thousand, and all of a sudden you're in a better um, uh, borrowing position because you've only got four hundred thousand of non-deductible debt, and you've got six hundred thousand, you know, fifty percent more um, deductible debt, and that'll actually help your borrowing capacity. This is as far as the lending calculator is concerned, isn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely, and not to not to mention that. We're also resetting, like um, like I mentioned earlier, that we're resetting the the loan terms um, to to be amortised over thirty years again. Mm-hmm. Because if you've had you know um, three or four years run on your home loan, all of a sudden you're being amortised over uh, 26, 27 years, and again, your the way you're assessed is a lot more harsh versus you know over thirty years. You squeezed out another ten percent mm-hmm. um, borrowing capacity. I'm going to bet you that 70% plus of the listeners would not have known that. Mm. Yeah. Like with, without fail. It, um, so that's a very, very good point. And this is, I guess, why it's so important to have that open communication with your broker, that collaborative approach. It's, it's actually very important that your entire team can mm-hmm. collaborate on your behalf. So the broker speaking to the advisor, the advisor speaking to the accountant, that cyclical nature without any third-party privacy issues, but which is a, lo- a lot of the clients know what we're talking about. If you don't, um, we can explain that in another podcast. So what about uh, what about non-productive debt? Um, we've always talked about credit cards, personal loans, car loans and the like, how, how detrimental they are to your capacity. Yeah. Has anything changed? Like we know that interest rates are going up in the resi space and the commercial space. Yes, yes. But how much is that non-productive uh, debt scenario, the loans, how much are they going up by? And has that affected or have, does it have a compound effect on the overall serviceability? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, where um, 12, 18 months ago, you could get a car loan for, you know, 4 or 5%. Now it's going to, the, the same, exact same car loan is going to cost you about 7 or 8%, right? So um, that means that the, those car loan repayments are higher and that, obviously will take away from your, your serviceability. So um, they are still being factored in. Um, they um, will still be detrimental and, and probably have um, a more sort of a compounded effect because everything else, all of your other debt is serviced um, higher. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the straw that breaks the, the camel's back, right? Especially when you, like if you've, if you've been reduced from a million to 400, just mm-hmm. as the example, and you've got, $70,000 worth of uh, car debt, which is what, $350,000 odd dollars equivalent of mortgage debt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That could be the difference between being able to execute on an opportunity and, and not, not even being all. close. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so important. Yeah, yep. and and this is where uh, obviously uh, the whole team comes into play, the accountant, the broker, the advisor, you know, and, and um, uh, I'm going to um, uh, step in um, gray area here in mm. terms of novated leases, right? So mm. one of the one of the things that people uh, employers do is entice you with a novated lease. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, that's one of the biggest uh, no-nos in terms of uh, lending because that certainly kills it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Be- because with a novated lease, they'll go, oh, you know, it's really tax effective for you. And, and whilst that's, um, you know, true from one perspective, you can emulate the same... Um, structure most of the time with your home loan or exactly. an, even an investment property. You know, the, if you borrow against the equity of that, yeah, sure, your your rates go, are going to be similar, um, but your repayments are just going to be so much lower because they're amortized over thirty years rather than the five to seven years that you get um, with a with a car loan or a novated lease. With a novated lease, you know, I, I see a lot of them 
and you know you've got two components you've got a pre-tax component a post-tax component and they're like twelve hundred dollars each you know, depending mm-hmm. on the car obviously mm-hmm. but like that just blows a massive hole in your um in your serviceability that's right and, and i guess that you know when you're investing you have to look at the holistic picture right mm. and have a balancing act between uh your tax structuring mm. as well as your investing finance structuring Uh, And this is where the broker and the accountant need to be on the same page. And often what happens is that most people sit with the accountant and the accountant brings in a tax perspective without taking into consideration the knock-on effects of borrowing, the knock-on effects of being able to refinance, the knock-on effects of adding to the portfolio. Um, So uh, you can never have it too too much to one side, right? You can't just focus on borrowing, 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 nor can you just focus on tax. You need to be fairly in the middle ground so that you can have the best of both worlds in line with what you're trying to achieve this year, next year, maybe the next (coughs) three years, so you can structure accordingly all of the moving parts to be able to borrow more, to then uh, and take take advantage of the market as it unfolds. I think that's why it's so, and I, we would all agree on this, why it's so crucial to have an accountant that is proactive rather than reactive. And and what we really mean by that is just, and no disrespect to accountants, that if, you, if your accountant sees you once a year and you go there at the end of the financial year and say, here's my stuff. It's too late. Work your magic. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's a, it's a mute point. You're not really getting the true worth of what an accountant can do for you. Being proactive, you know, what are your goals? Mm. What are we trying to achieve for this coming financial year? Yes, we may have a tax problem, but we're also trying to create a wealth position. So we need to balance. Mm. Yeah, it's that type of narrative back and forth rather than, well, here's a shoebox. Yeah, exactly. Full yeah. of stuff. Yep. Um, get me a return, please. Yeah, that's right. It's, and there's such a big difference. So the importance of that proactive accountant it's very crucial. important, very important. And, and, and look, the same um, scenario applies to finance as well, right? You don't go to your broker after you've exchanged the contract, especially in today's especially market. Especially in today's yeah. market. Actually, just to interrupt for one second, how, how hard is it now, if at all, I mean, if you service, you service, hmm. but how hard is it to get that conditional approval should you want to go to an auction? Has anything changed in that space? Yeah, really good question. That's that's probably been the other um, major challenge in this environment where um, we we have lenders that once you're pre-approved, um, for the life of the pre-approval, the 90 days that you've got usually, um, it's rock solid. It doesn't matter what happens with interest rates. But we've been in the environment over the last few months where you, where, you know, get a pre-approval and then, you know, the following months, Assessment rate, interest rates rise, assessment rate rises, your borrowing capacity drops, and then all of a sudden, you know, you were pre-approved for 500,000, you're not approved for 500,000 anymore. Mm. And there are some lenders that will not necessarily honour that. So it it has been a little bit of a minefield. um, I would also say there's a bit of a, a, not a gamble, but there is the potential issue for valuers also Mm. Valuation has to come up. The, the, val, the val has to stack. Yeah. So on whenever the drop of the hammer, whatever the price is, then the valuation, it might even be a little bit um, smarter and risk adverse to have a lender valuation before the Beforehand, auction yeah. just to make sure that in a, in, a, in, a, in a market full of sentiment that you're still stacking up. Yeah. I uh, guess uh, what we... Z's looking and saying, that's yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. just more... That's more just, work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess we, we're, not, we're not saying that don't buy at auction. We're no, saying no. don't buy at an auction unless you're fully prepared. You know, you've yeah. got you've got contingencies in place if you're not able to get the full LVR, if the valuation comes in lower. Because it's not that you haven't bought well. Mm. It's just the lender's risk appetite in that area, the valuer's risk appetite in that area. There's There's so many moving factors over here that uh, really we need to take into account Absolutely. before before you actually can say with surety that there is certainty with lending. Especially yeah. in today's yeah. environment. What about, that actually poses another question, what about postcode restrictions? Are we starting to see sort of LVRs being knocked around on different postcodes or different asset types? 
Probably not as much, um, but what um, you know, back to the back to the previous point about um, the the pre approvals being honoured. I think you're 100 percent right around um, you know certainty in lending is is really um, the key, not just for the borrower but also for the lender because you know things are changing for the banks, right? Um, so in, you know their cost of funding is increasing um, monthly, um, whatever. But what what we're seeing is if you do change your mind around the finance product or structure with a lender, all of a sudden you're deemed as to be not pre-approved under the, the previous policy anymore. Mm. So under the previous um, rate where, again, you know, a lot of, a lot of lenders will um, provide that, um, that certainty and say, look, you, you, you're pre-approved for three months, um, we're going to honour that. But if you start changing your mind, go, oh, actually, I'm not going to go um, interest only, I'm going to go P&I or vice versa or fixed variable, whatever it is. If, you, if you're swapping something around, all of a sudden you're not pre-approved again. Well, that's the bank's opportunity to pass on the new changes, isn't it? It, it is, it is. Um, so it's just a massive minefield because the expectation is, hey, I'm just changing a product. You know, like I was already pre-approved. You told me I could borrow five hundred thousand. Now you're telling me I can only borrow, you know, four hundred and twenty. Mm. But I've already found that property. And and, th- and there is the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, with participation and the like, when yeah. you, when you have such a reducing or such a, when you have such a changing goalposts, mm. the market is trying to react. Accordingly. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, there's still a hell of a lot of money in the market. There's still a lot of people that can borrow a hell of a lot of money. Sure. And so those transactions are still happening, which is very, very important. What are you seeing in terms of intent versus ability? So in terms of intent versus ability, there's still a huge amount of people wanting to um, purchase or refinance, especially as rates you know um, start to escalate, um, they're, they're wanting to you know ease the pain of the higher re, um, repayments. Um, or the flip side is they see it's an opportunity. You know when there's confidence down, you guys have seen it. You know cycle after cycle. Mm-hmm. When's the best time to buy? It's when mm-hmm. confidence is down, when interest rates are going up, or you know when the pandemic's hitting and. And everybody's going, oh, no, you know, the world's ending. That's the best time to buy. So, you know, a lot of a lot of investors, especially the sophisticated investors, uh, the experienced investors that have seen those market cycles, they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, you we've know? been waiting for this. Yeah, you know, we've been waiting. Yeah. You know, they're not competing against the hordes that are willing to pay overs, you know, over, over market value. Um, so they're thinking this is great, but, you know, um, the ability is just not there. Like we were saying, you know, the service ability is the, the harshest we've probably seen for, for about 10 years now. I'd, so I'd say I'd even say more. More, yeah. yeah. It, it is. You, you like know, to be serviced at 10% or thereabouts. That's pretty GFC. That's pretty GFC. That's, that's yeah. huge. And if you just sit back and let that sink in for a minute, at 10%, give or take, it's it's clearly no no wonder that the participation rate has has. Yeah. fallen through the roof as yeah. opposed to a mere 12 to 18 months ago yeah yeah you know like, like assessment rates were what five and a half percent yeah six percent you know and it's crazy it's, yeah it's crazy and so i guess the question is then when do you see a change so it's a two-part question mm. and this will be on the net forever and ever <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> where, yeah where where do you see or well, when do you see rates starting to taper off when do you see rates potentially adjusting downwards we'll start with those two first (laughs) so i think given the impact of um the the rate rises um thus far and the the slowing um i i think it's only going to increase by another three quarters of percent so, and that's kind of in line with um, what the the majors are uh, forecasting. Yeah. You know, that's not saying. not all in one go. It will be incremental too. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. Yep. Look, I, I think um, well, if I obviously just had a, a quarter percent, you know, we'll have another one before the end of the year, and then we'll have a couple more next year. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
we, we, you know, the the majors are, are saying anywhere, you know, a cash rate of anywhere between 3.1 to 3.6%. Which is so still reasonable. It's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And when do you see, this is the second part or part three of the question, could you see that the banking system via the regulators change the assessment rate? So change the buffer rate, which would allow more participation? It, it has to. It has to. Yeah. There's there's no question that in this current environment and the upward trend of interest rates that it's sustainable to have um, assessment rates at, you know, 8 to 10% plus. Mm-hmm. It, it's just – it's going to exclude too many people. Mm. So the, the banks um, – I'm already starting to see that they're, um, they're, they've recognised that and they're starting to tinker around the edges um, of certain credit policies. So, you know, Westpac just last week came out and said, oh, we're kind of broadening um, the the medical policy. So it's called Medicos. Um, usually, you know, it's doctors and um, uh, you know, dentists and specialists and so forth um, that get, um, uh, you know, their LMI covered up to 90%, it's now including midwives and um, registered nurses. Um, so they don't have to pay mortgage them. insurance up to 90% yeah. if they qualify? Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Um, some, um, some lenders will uh, allow interest only. Yeah. yeah. Why that's such an important piece is that it, what it shows is, is that that particular lender is trying to find a way to make money, to yeah. lend. Yeah, yeah. Because ultimately that's how they that's do it. make their money same as um with the uh, self-employed um area so there you know for a while there there was only you know one or two banks really that that um gave the flexibility of looking at only one year Mm -hmm. financials and tax returns now there's a there's a couple more sort of coming in and um some of them are the restrictions you know up to up to 80 percent and so forth but um, there's a few more um, to the table now, and there's also um, uh, tinkering around the edges of um, how they kind of take self-employed income. So if you've got regular, if you're paying yourself regularly um, as a self-employed person, all of a sudden there are a couple of banks that'll look at you know six months of oh you, you've been paying yourself you know it's it's it aligns with um, you know bank statements and and your tax records we'll, we'll lend based on that and we'll exclude um, what's in what's in the business. What about for those that are salespeople that have a, a big piece of their income is in and around yeah. commissions? Commissions, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, there are still lenders that will um, say, okay, well, you've had a you've had a good, you know, three to six months. Um, I'll just lend on that. Don't don't show them anymore. That's uh, that's a that's a tip of the day. Um, but um, there, you know, most of the lenders are, are going to say, well, you know, let sh- show me two years because you know sales income can be lumpy. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if you find the right lender, they, they'll still do short term commissions income, which is which so, is massive. So this is where uh, the broker, the finance advisor, is actually understanding their client. So it still comes back to what information you share with the broker. Uh, and the um, full of the bigger picture, so that they can actually work with all of that to actually get you to your goal. So be upfront with us, guys. Like um, we're working for you, you know. We will strategically within the rules, not you know bending the rules maybe, but not breaking the rules. We'll present you in the best possible light to the lenders to give you the maximum um, chance of yeah. success. I think that's a very important yep. point because often people think that brokers are on the Bank side. side, for want of a better term, but it's yeah. not. Like, be fully upfront, yes, yes, full yes. disclosure with your broker. Let them make the dis- mm-hmm. the strategic decisions. Yes, 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 because that's what they do every day. Don't you assume, yeah, as I, the borrower, anything? That's right. I guess in today's market, with the positive credit reporting, right, the undisclosed credit card that you may have forgotten that you actually still had open, right? Yes, yes, uh, yes. that can kill a deal. It, it can, yeah, yeah. because the, the reason that kills a deal is because. Somebody's making a decision at the end of it. It's a subjective decision. Mm-hmm. There's a human being, not just a, a computer system. Yes, the, your deal gets run through a system and an algorithm um, and it spits out a decision. But ultimately, 
the the person there's going to be somebody going yeah that sounds like a strong person mm. uh, a deal or not and what they're doing is not just making an assessment of um you your situation but they're making an assessment of you as a character you know is victor a good borrower you know, can we rely on victor and well, if that's a short story so <laughs> <laughs> um if victor's not being completely upfront with me mm. then you know, and I found out something that he hasn't been forthright and told me. Yeah. Then that's not a good um, that's not a good reflection of, on Victor's um, personality and, and character. Yeah. So you know, I'm a lot more hesitant about the deal all of a sudden because you know nobody likes unpleasant surprises, right? Like, yeah, like well, I don't. So one this. one of the things I do before I apply for finance and, and finance for me, as you know, is very very complicated, right? With the portfolio we control, mm. um, the first thing I do is actually get a copy of my current credit rating because they are always lenders pinging uh, the credit rating in terms yes. of checking uh, as part of the process, right? Yeah. The annual reviews as an example and all that sort of stuff. And and there could be, uh, you know, a credit card there that you thought you had closed or, or uh, you know, have never used for 10 years, but it's still, you know, uh, lying there dormant, ready to be activated at any point in time. It shows up on your credit rating. Uh, it's better to have all of that information up front and be able to share that with the broker so that you know they can approach the right lenders based on that information as well. Absolutely. You know, we always do that on behalf of our clients, but you know, if you're using you know a bank direct or you know another broker, then absolutely, you know, you want to go armed with any questions that you might have, any concerns and, and again be upfront with them around, oh, this is what happened. And you know, sometimes it's something that happened 20 years ago you know we had we had a, a, a deal knocked back um you know a couple of years back um with um a bank and they they said oh yeah decline and we went why you know everything checked out as a strong deal so there's service you know is within policy well, what happened they said no it's just declined and it wasn't until we kind of um dug deeper we we used our our, our bdm we've got a very strong relationship with them so they you know under the table went and, and looked in their systems and they went, oh, it was actually a missed payment in 1993 that, uh, that happened. So yeah, we've actually just, yeah, we don't, we, you know, it, it just came up in our credit scoring system and um, not one missed do. payment uh, or was it, it like it a was, year's worth or something? Yeah, no, no, it was, it, it was enough to be trivial, especially given the time, um, you know, like that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like thirty years ago. So that, that, that's a good, I guess, example of the banks finding a reason to say no. Yeah. And this is this is goes to the open closed door policy. There mm. are certain times when banks will close their doors because their book mm. is full. Exactly. And there are times that the bank wants to open the door to lend out as much as they can. And a great, you you touched on it. A great example is Westpac at the moment. Mm. Um, on this day, two thousand and twenty-two that is super aggressive yes, in yes, the market. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And there are lenders that were aggressive yes. six months ago that now don't want the business, mm. you know, in a really dumbed down way, I guess. And, and I think that's, uh, that's a really good point um, because, you know, banks um, sort of appetite, um, you know, peaks and wanes based on um, what their, the, their book looks like. And there are some lenders, yes, yep, absolutely Westpac, that have been so, um, into investment lending um, and so aggressive in, in filling their book over the last three to four years that my feeling is that um, in the next 12 months that's going to wane um, and you know where CBA um, up to so three four years ago they were the same mm. and then they've kind of you know um, not completely shut off the gates but they're, they're so much more stringent they're not doing anybody any favors yeah I mean, yeah. like, and and the pricing reflects that. Correct. And and, and their their appetite, um, you know, that's that's being driven by their, their appetite and the state of their book. But, you know, given that there's been a slowdown, I would expect, um, you know, like a, a CBA over the, over the next um, twelve months to, to really start ramping up again. Mm -hmm. And and this is nothing new. This is a si finance this, cycle. Yeah, this right? is we've seen point, this before. Right? Yeah. yeah. And who knows? You might see that. 95% plus LMI yeah. turn back. I no hope to, time I ho soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope they don't. I yeah. really, really hope they don't because I think that's a dangerous uh, place to play in yeah. uh, personally. But what I do think will happen, and I guess this is this will play into the way that you assess and which lenders is 
New South Wales have said, we are doing the stamp duty change now. We're going to trial it with the first homeowners. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that other states are starting to talk around policy change. Yeah. There's change afoot everywhere. There's right? change afoot. And it, it's the collective approach to to get the money into the system to supply accommodation. Mm-hmm. Once again, participation. So I guess as brokers, you guys have got to cut out for yourselves in terms of changing policy and all these intricacies that are that are in the pipeline. They're coming. But I guess that's what you guys do every day. Oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't, you know, personally keep up with the, with the change myself. Like, it's just it's just the norm now like mm. the the constant change is is the norm so you're like you're like mm-hmm. gone of the days where it was how much money do you want sign yeah, exactly. here press hard <laughs> third copy's yours away you go we had a laminated copy of um all the interest rates because yeah, they yeah, never yeah. changed for years yep. <laughs> yeah yeah there's only one interest rate it was for investment interest yeah. only 95 percent was the same as 80 yep. percent just i wonder if it's easy i wonder if speaking of the investment rate i wonder if they'll they'll change it for investors. Mm. Like thought. Will they? Like, yeah. yeah, if you want 90%, you'll be penalised accordingly. But if you're 80%, we're going to dramatically reduce. But they're kind of doing that now. Yeah, but I mean really I mean. harshly or hard, yeah. more effectively, to, to get people to do stuff. Maybe yeah. it may be around the assessment rates uh, yeah. in itself, right? So 90% would have a different assessment rate. That's, as that's it, what I'm referring know, to, yeah. Just, just after GFC, that's what they tended yeah. to do is... If you're 90 or 95 percent, it was a different assessment rate to 80 percent. That'll open up the floodgates for you. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. it can't, they can't just do it for the homeowner because there's only a portion mm-hmm. of people, as there are only a portion of investors as well. But to solve this problem in and around accommodation now, you actually need both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. You need the owner occupier to participate, and you need the investor mm-hmm. to participate. But if the cost of funding for the banks is X, and they need to make a profit well then how do they get the money into the system and still make a uh, make a profit i don't know interesting yeah. so we, we we have um uh, obviously talked all about finance and um uh, obviously the um, the uh, listeners uh, may have other questions uh, z how can they contact you uh mlsfinance.com.au there you go so go go onto the website and um uh, make sure that um you mentioned this podcast so that we can um, um be able to track uh, how we are able to help people in this changing market because just just like like you, we want to find innovative ways to uh, bring you information that's pertinent, uh, so that you can take benefit of today's market, uh, the changing market, both in finance and investments. And uh, for your questions, uh, you can come to questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or come to our website uh, rightpropertygroup.com.au uh, and uh, hit the contact me page. If you wanted to sit down with uh, either myself or Steve, if you're an existing client, uh, again, just come to uh, either um, uh, Melanie or Jenny uh, to get a time in our diary because it's important, as, as we discussed today, with um, the mortgage restructuring and all that and perhaps uh, how we're going to restructure the portfolio to have that plan in place first before you then go back to Z and talk about the finance strategy to... to um, uh, get everything all in the one um, table so that we are able to then move forward uh, and take advantage of today's market or, or uh, be able to restructure your mortgages so that you are actually um, having a far better flexibility in what you've got. And if you're a new client that you've been listening to us for a while or you've just found us, um, you can go to our, our website and there's a contact me form uh, and there's a little bit of a process before you sit down with either myself or Steve um, and Melissa, who's a uh, very uh, well-heeled investor, she has been investing for many years. She will have a chat with you uh, initially to make sure that you get the best of uh, either myself or Steve's time uh, when you do talk to us. So this is Investing Insights. Um, uh, be sure to share our uh, podcast with your friends and family. And until next time, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.